Good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming. Nice to see a bit of a crew out at 8.30 in the morning. I hope uh, we'll try and talk a little quietly so you don't get, you know, we don't hurt your hangovers. Um, so just to start with the introductions. Uh, thanks, Laurent. My name is Glenda Crisp, and I am the Chief Data Officer at National Australia Bank. And I'm joined by my colleague, Laurent Desigur, and he is our GM responsible for digital technology. So it's not your hangover. You're probably a bit confused. It's not an Australian accent. My accent's Canadian, his is French, and we work for an Australian bank. But we are really happy to be here to share um, how we're transforming customer experience in the contact center uh, using Amazon Connect, along with our data platform. So who is NAB, National Australia Bank? Well, we're 160 years old. We're not a startup. <laughs> We're not a big tech, we're not a fintech. Um, our purpose is to back the bold who move Australia forward. And that means that we back just over 450,000 small businesses. And we help them to grow into large companies. So we are Australia's largest business bank, but we also have uh, retail consumer, uh, wealth and investment banking operations. Our as I said, our purpose is to back the bold. And so we actually operate in a global uh, footprint. Uh, and in New Zealand, and I have one of my colleagues here this morning, uh, we operate as Bank of New Zealand. In the wealth section, you'll see us under MLC, NAB Trade, and JB Weir. So if you see those brands, they operate under our uh, NAB group. Again, we have more than 9 million customers, more than 33,000 employees and 900 locations. We are global, however, our primary locations are Australia and New Zealand. Our vision is to be Australia's leading bank, trusted by customers for exceptional service. And so to ensure that exceptional service, we're actually on a bit of a journey. We are investing $4.5 billion over three years to uplift our business and technology capabilities. In terms of our tech strategy, I'll just outline a few things that you should be aware of. First, we believe in the public cloud and we are moving there as quickly as possible. AWS is our first cloud provider uh, and we are actually moving into a multi-cloud approach. Second, our standard development pattern, the way we build technology is API first and microservices. So that is our default position. And finally, near and dear to my heart as a CDO, we are embracing data and analytics to create exceptional customer service. And so I'm going to hand over to Laurent to talk about how we're doing that with Amazon Connect. And then I'm going to come back and talk about our data platform that we're building and how that integrates with Amazon Connect. So Laurent. Thank you. Thank you, Glenda. Good morning, everyone. Uh, well, I second Glenda for thanking you to be so early today. How many people from NAB in the audience just to raise your hands. Thank you, guys. Thank you for showing up on front row. Very good. Thank you. So welcome, everyone. Um, so I'm here to uh, talk a little bit about the Amazon Connect uh, journey that we took at NAB and uh, you know, our transition from our system that we are currently using today uh, to basically this new system. Uh, so a little bit of a context first. 
Um, so our call centers uh, basically are serving a, a number of customers. We have a, a very uh, diverse number of call centers right now with various requirements. So for example, you know, these are the type of call centers that serve a small business calling for their lending needs, for example, or uh, let's say a retail customer calling for a credit card. So what we're trying to do here is uh, we are about 24 million calls right now serving per year. This is a large number of calls for about 6 million customers calling every year. Uh, we support directly about 300 products and services. And this is also a large number of products that we need to service. And we have different business units to support these uh, services through the call centers. Uh, we support inbound, outbound, email and chat. So these are various channels that we need to support. And our goal is to support our customers, whatever channel they decide to come through, through this journey and, and, and basically supporting them through their needs in the call centers. So uh, what we do here? The challenges, obviously, we have a few, right? Um, the uh, economy is moving from, uh, to digital, and so we need to still constantly uh, expect the customer uh, to uh, need things that you know, are not necessarily something we serve in the application, so they're calling our centers for that. And as it's changing, obviously, we, we need to keep up with their needs. Uh, we estimate today, and this is basically vague estimate, that 35% uh, of the calls for digital services um, are about, uh, sorry, all the calls that are made in the call centers today, 35% already exist as digital service, and people obviously cannot find these services easily, so they have to call directly. Uh, we really want to help boost the number uh, of active, digitally active customers. But uh, today, uh, under 50% of the number of people who call in our call centers are digitally active. So this is a low number, and we're trying to help to boost this. Um, the many customers call as a result of a fair demand, which is essentially something they are trying to do by themselves and cannot succeed, and they have to call. Again, this is a, quite a bit uh, you know, of a number of people, and we're, we have a big opportunity for this one. Um, at present, we estimate that 70% of the banker effort is focused on things that are not valued by the bank uh, at uh, no value added at all. So 70% is a quite a bit of a large number. You know, these are things like, for example, change of address or you know, uh, update a, a credit card and things like that, which things could be done this definitely online. That's 70%. So we really want to improve also the personalization because we want to make sure that people connect and they have like a, a, an identity when they come uh, to call our centers uh, directly without having to go through the loops of authorization and authentication. Um, and so we also want to uh, decrease the uh, amount of transfer rates uh, and improve the first call resolution because these are the things that, as we will see, when we move to Amazon Connect, can be costly. If you have uh, you know, some deal with your telco today, moving to Amazon Connect won't basically give you the same rates. So moving to Amazon Connect. Um, so if we face these challenges today, even though we have all these challenges, we realize that our customers still want 
to use a phone to contact us and to be connected with us. So I have to say that call centers are here to stay. And that's a good news for us because we're moving to Amazon Connect anyway. Um, so Amazon Connect is a cloud-based sol uh, solution, as you probably know. It was developed by Amazon, and it's serving uh, their needs and their customers with millions of conversations. Uh, and it's basically de deployed uh, worldwide. Uh, NAB is the first bank in Australia to use Amazon Connect. And we have basically uh, IAWS expertise to help us adopt this technology, while NAB is customizing the technology to, their, to our needs. Um, the way we talk about our customers to evolve in the technology will give us this ability uh, to adapt on existing technology. So this is a goal of us adopting Amazon Connect is we want to evolve and adapt with the technology. So let's describe a little bit the uh, component uh, that we are building on Amazon Connect. So these are the things that are not coming out of the box definitely that we need to con con uh, contemplate building uh, as we go forward. So Amazon Connect gives a range of features, obviously, out of the box. And it's, it's a good thing for us to get that and start using it. But we have, as we go forward, we have also to develop other components, including things like the soft phone for a digital phone. <clears throat> Sorry about the microphone. The soft phone is a digital phone used by the banker to interact with our customers. So this was the first component that we built uh, uh, originally uh, to, uh, to test on different business units with lower needs. Um, the surveys can be easily uh, created and updated with our admin portal. So we have surveys that are coming at the end of some calls and we are using this tool for essentially uh, managing the surveys. The uh, search and replay is used to uh, access the call recording, obviously, we, ne we need this, and this will basically provide us incremental features as we go forward. Um, the smart AVR is uh, essentially the uh, identity, clarity, clarity of the call and direct to customers to the right queue uh, using the Amazon, uh, Amazon World Class technology. So we're using this uh, technology for doing our AVR. Um, <clears throat> We have also the ability to create new IVR message at a fraction of the time of what it costs today. And this is basically also for us the ability to deploy these messages quickly and almost real time. Uh, we are also building an outbound dialer, which helps the, bank to, the bankers to be proactive with the customer, for example, to do some checking calls. So these are the components that we're building now. So, we need to focus on two key aspects uh, on, on our strategy. And the first one is basically, we need to uh, uplift the customer experience today. And this is our main goal at NAB. We're focusing on NPS and we're trying to improve the NPS. And in order to do that, we need first to improve the banker experience. Uh, as we will see, the ENPS, as we call it, employee NPS or banker NPS, is essentially giving the tools that bankers need for getting the result done much faster and much better. So we need to increase the code personalize, personalization. We need to reduce the failure demand, as I was saying earlier. We need also to uh, reduce the self-service opportunity by conversation. So all of these steps will give us better NPS. So. 
I want to describe here uh, the journey of a customer and a banker interaction and some uh, of the uh, things that uh, you know, are joining them together at some point in this journey. So this is basically Sally, uh, the customers, and John, the banker, so bear with me. Uh, so first of all, we have Sally uh, with digital adoption. So Sally uh, is an app customer, and she noticed that her credit card is soon to be expired, and she wants to go online to sort it out. So with contextual help in the app, Sally initiates the chat in the NAB app and, in the NAB app and writes the questions directly there, right? So through a chatbot, Sally gets immediately the answer that basically the card will be sent to her at her home address. But then we have also the seamless transition to authentication. Well, Sally is prompted to log in to understand when she will be delivered this card, what date she will be delivered this card. And then after that, we have the advanced customer analytics where Sally notices a transaction that she does not recognize. And so she types that she has not been in the country when this transaction happened. So all of this flow is through the customer journey. Now let's see uh, what happens. So I've, the last one she does is app to call. She decides that to call customer support from the app to, uh, to uh, talk about some option. Okay? So now we have John, the banker, that comes in. And John has been trained, so John is very savvy about technology, and he understands, uh, you know, the, and he loves the assistance, uh, assisting the customer uh, through uh, digital channels. So through the knowing the customer, the conversation seamless transfer from a chatbot to John, right? So we are able to send the information to John uh, with all of the details, so there is no repeat. With a chat, John joined the message conversation, introduced himself, and provide some human support for Sally to resolve the question that she was asking originally. So we are interfering with the chat both here, and we're adding human support. Then, with the knowledge management, John gave relevant advice to be able to find information to support Sally's inquiry if she needs more, uh, more help. And then with intelligent writing, John received the call because he's the most recent person that talks to Sally. And that's basically our journey through this use case. There are many other use cases like that, but we're taking advantage of the whole technology chain here to uh, basically develop these solutions. So our primary focus is to be where the customer uh, is in this multi-channel strategy. We are basically, we want to improve the efficiency in the way we're serving and helping the customer. And we also want to provide the assistance that they need. Uh, we want to move the operation measure as a, so we're changing a bit the measurement of quality here. We're trying to change basically from a grade of service uh, to a quality experience measure with analytics, right? And Glenda will talk more about that. We want to go with the average handling time, so we want to change that to where interaction at quantified value to our customers. We want most banking time spent understanding and supporting the customer. Uh, we need to have them resolve the needs. And then our aim is to reduce the call volume by 3% in the first year, and then up to 13% in the following year. So by further enhancing the capabilities. These are the targets that we're setting ourselves, and we're happy to share that with you today. So when we are talking about the action that we are doing to improve our customer experience, this is one thing, but we also want to understand that the benefit is for the bank to adopt the technology, right? We can continue to adopt this technology, we, then we adapt, evolve, and improve it in the future. 
So for our customer, we can deliver a better experience with interaction, flexibility. For our banker, we will deliver broad benefits, capability, efficiency, flexibility, and make sure I don't forget anything, resilience, and risk control for the bank. So we provide a multi-tenant solution across NAB right now. That feature is built to move business units in gradually onboarding as basically their capabilities needed. And we are adopting the, the system of waves to basically categorize this business unit in multiple groups. So we are able to launch multiple business units at once. Of course, there is an adoption path that follows that. So the training and all the things we talk about during the, the banker uh, uh, path is the things that we're following up after we push development of the solutions. Um, so the business unit will support the rollout of technology across all call centers. That's what I said. And we're also building the Amazon Connect components for Orniv, the things that you've seen earlier. But this is only the beginning, right? Because after this initial replatforming, we will establish a roadmap and deliver all these components as we go forward with the capabilities to our customer experience. And uh, I will say, this is for Glenda, please. <laughs> Thanks, Laurent. Um, so yes, we do believe that data makes a difference, and I'm sure you're shocked to hear a CDO say that. Um, but there are two big reasons why. First, we actually believe that by better using data, we can know our customer better, which means we can anticipate their needs and therefore serve them better. So that's the overarching goal. And then secondly, as a business ourselves, we believe that by moving to a data-driven culture, we will make better decisions. Um, so we have spent the last 18 months building a new data ecosystem on uh, AWS. I'm sure you understand from my earlier comments that my bias, so I have to declare my bias, is to be very pro-cloud. Um, but I actually think that moving to the cloud is the best opportunity that you have to actually rebuild your data pipelines uh, correctly and actually future-proofed. So what have we built? Well, if I had just a few of you in a room with a whiteboard, this is what I would draw, so that's why the slide looks like this. On the left side, you see that we've got source systems, and in the middle, we have our data lake. The data lake has been built on AWS. We have both streaming and batch ingestion patterns. I will say that predominantly, the data is landing in batch mode right now, due to constraints in the source systems. But as our sources become modernized and enabled to do event-driven uh, and streaming data, then we are able to consume it in the lake. Um, as of now, we have about 120 source systems landed, and that uh, represents approximately 40% of the bank's core data. So this is transaction data. All of that data has been tagged with both business and technical metadata. The data is flowing through to our analytics platform and our reporting platform. The analytics platform is also built on AWS, and I'll talk about more of the tech stack on my next slide, so just hang on with those questions. As of today, we have over 400 users on that platform. Um, these are data scientists and analytics teams from across the bank. We have 55 data labs, each of them with usually one, maybe two use cases going at any point in time. 
Um, NRP, so we've got a reporting platform, the NAB reporting platform. This is also in the cloud and or migrating to the cloud. And I'll talk about more of the tech there. But this is also our first foray into the multi-cloud part of our architecture. And so how does all this sync up with Amazon Connect? Amazon Connect is streaming data to the lake, which then flows over to reporting and advanced analytics. Um, decisioning and workflow platforms are also receiving the data, and when they send data back to Amazon Connect, those pieces of information also flow to the lake so that the lake has those results. This means that we've got um, a really nice feedback loop and a closed loop system so that we can do analytics across the whole uh, life, uh, lifespan, I guess, of the transaction. So that's kind of at a high level. You also see that we've got protection and governance at the top. This uh, cuts across everything. Uh, as a bank, we need to make sure that our data is safe and secure, and we also need to make sure that we're using it appropriately and in line with consents. So that's kind of the whole ecosystem. So because this is a tech conference, I have to give you kind of sort of an architecture diagram. I refer to this as my artist's rendering of an architecture diagram. The real architecture is obviously far more uh, complicated and has lots of lines and boxes that aren't here. But let me walk through the pieces and talk briefly about the tech stack. NAB Data Hub is our lake. You see it in the center there. S3 is what we're using for storage. Kafka we use for streaming. Uh, Informatica is our data governance uh, platform. This is our book of record for metadata, lineage, and data quality. When we bring data into the lake, it lands in the raw zone. It looks exactly like it did in the source system. We have not changed it. The source is obligated to provide us all of their data. And the only exception is I don't want config files and I don't want audit and log type stuff, but I want all the business data brought across. So it's landed and it's tagged. The metadata, both business and technical, is logged into our Informatica uh, book of record. We then take the raw data and move it to curated, also referred to as standardized by my artist. Um, and so that is essentially standardizing the source data into Parquet and also um, uh, standardizing certain fields like date format, things nobody's going to really argue about, but again, stored by source. The transformations that occur between moving from raw to curated are logged again in Informatica, so now I've got an automated lineage. The third zone or part of the lake is conformed, so also referred to as read-optimized. Not all data makes it over to conformed. This is where we bring different sources together to create a common view, common view of customer, product, arrangement, etc. This is where there's a lot more transformations that will occur. And so as the data moves from curated to conformed, that again is logged in Informatica. So now I have an automated lineage trail of my data as it's moving through the cloud. Um, for now, we're just building out the conform layer, so it's still one of the newer parts of the architecture. We know that we will have some common or enterprise views like customer product and arrangement, but we also anticipate that we will have some very business-specific conformed views as well. 
and that again uh, will be subject to the automated lineage. So that is the lake. The lake then has a serving uh, layer which serves out to the downstream pieces, the consuming uh, area. So I'm going to start with NDC, Nav Discovery Cloud, which is on the lower right. This is our advanced analytics platform. This is built on AWS. It's been around for just over a year. And again, this is where those 400 data scientists and analytics team members are working. This is where we are uh, building machine learning models and predictive analytics. Again, over 400 users and 55 data labs. The most popular tech in here is Jupyter Notebooks, and Python is the coding language of choice, although we do support others. Um, this is probably the part of the architecture that shifts and um, is trying out new things the most. Uh, we're constantly looking at new ways to do things. Uh, we've got a POC going with H2O, um, and Databricks is something else that we're exploring as well. So you'll see us trying things in here. Uh, this part of the architecture especially will change uh, pretty rapidly over the next six to 12 months. Um, in terms of machine learning models, uh, we've been working on uh, building this capability for a little while now. Um, we're starting in the areas you would expect a bank to start in. Anti-money laundering, cyber, fraud. And so let me just talk about fraud quickly. This may be a shock to some of you in the room but there are people who actually lie on their loan applications. And not only do they lie, they send us fake documentation, like fake payslips. And so we are building a machine learning model. It's actually uh, fairly advanced through its training right now to try to identify uh, fake and falsified documentation. And we're seeing some really good uh, improvements over the traditional models that we've used. Uh, so that's, that's one area we're working in. The other one that we've been doing is um, topic and theme analytics around customer complaints. So yes, we get customer complaints, and we actually would like to know what's driving those complaints. And so we're building, um, and we have a machine learning model that's been running for a few months now on those. Um, the one I, as a CDO, am most interested and I track most closely is the percentage of customer complaints related to data quality. And so that's something, that's a number that I wanna drive down, because I don't think that should happen. I think our, trust, our customers should be able to trust us for good quality data. So that's what we're doing uh, in machine learning, and I'll talk about it a little bit more uh, later um, in relation to Amazon Connect. The third platform I'll talk about is on the upper right, NAB reporting platform, NRP. Um, so we have four target state architectures in this. The first is Tableau, which we are, have finished consolidating all the various Tableau server licenses, and now we are migrating to the cloud. Uh, Axiom is our reporting tool, regulatory reporting. Um, and then we have two new um, technologies. So the first is ThoughtSpot, uh, really cool if you haven't seen it. Uh, has a really nice Google type interface where a person can just ask a question of the data and charts and graphs seem to magically appear. It's pretty cool. That one we're running on AWS. And the second one is Power BI, which is running on Azure. And so uh, that is also going to be dashboards and we'll be able to pump out um, some really good executive dashboards out on the mobile phone. 
So that runs on Azure. That's our first foray, foray into starting to make this into a multi-cloud architecture. And the data is served to Azure and Power BI from NDH. So that's the architecture in a nutshell. Uh, in terms of benefits of the ecosystem, um, don't worry, I'm not going to go through every single one of these. Uh, but we are seeing these benefits come to life. When we started building uh, the data ecosystem, the metaphor we used was a muscle. So to be good, you need a muscle to be strong, but you also need it to be able to flex. And we find that we get that in the cloud. So the strength, the resilience, the robustness of the architecture, um, it's, it's really unparalleled. And then the ability to flex, to add a whim, expand out and be able to handle all kinds of data and then contract as needed and manage our costs. And so we've really seen that come to life. Which then takes me to tools. I think uh, was covered in some of the videos we've been seeing around, but a lot of tech companies right now go cloud first, on-prem second. So by sticking to on-prem, you're actually at a disadvantage when it comes to new capability. And I personally believe that over the next probably 10 years, you'll see a bigger shift towards cloud only, which if you're on on-prem, I don't know how you compete. And so um, that's one of the reasons why my bias is so clear on ProCloud, because I am starting to see more and more stuff shift to the cloud. And last, the last benefit, I will, I'll just kind of bunch two of them together. We are seeing innovation and experimentation at scale and speed. So the first way and the first thing I'll talk about here is uh, the ability that we have now with AWS to automate the creation and destruction of our data labs. And both sides of that coin are important. So when we agree to stand up a data lab, it's all automated. The whole container gets set up for the data scientist, all the tech they need, the security is there, all the rules and all of that's already there for them, so they're ready to go. The destruction happens automatically in 90 days. The lab is torn down and the data is deleted. Incredibly important to keep the environments hygienic. Now, before you all panic, if you need it for longer than 90 days, you can ask for an exception and we will grant it. However, this is not meant to be a production system. This is not meant to be running models all the time. This is meant as a development or an experimentation area. So if you do build a model and you do want it to go to production, we have a path to production and we have a production run environment that it'll then uh, live in. And we have all the right operational controls around that. So that's the first thing, automating that creation and destruction. And then the second one is something we're working on, so it's not quite done. We are looking at um, and working to automate the governance processes around establishing data labs. Um, so just because you want a data lab doesn't mean you get a data lab. First, we want to understand what's your use case, and then we have to talk and understand what are the privacy implications, security considerations, and then newer to us now is ethical. So we now have a framework for the ethical use of data, machine learning, and AI. So we have a conversation around, is that the right and ethical use of data? Let's have the should we conversation before the technical can we. And I know that a lot of people here love the can we conversation because it's a really cool challenge to be able to do some of this stuff. But actually, ethically, we need to stop and think for a minute before we get too far. 
So what we're working on now is automating that workflow so that we can actually have these conversations much quicker so that things that are clearly within our guardrails, we just move and let the data scientists go at, at speed. So we do see the benefits there. However, you're not gonna get those benefits if you don't actually put the right data foundations in place. And I am gonna walk through each of these, so sit back and relax. All right, the first one, and if you saw me in Sydney, I apologize, because I'm gonna say the exact same thing. The difference between a lake and a swamp is business metadata. If you don't actually know the data that you landed in your lake, you just built a swamp. You can't see in it, it's murky, it probably looks really gross, and you're gonna have to clean it up. And you actually will not get reuse benefits of your data if you don't tag it correctly at the start. And this is hard work. It's not real sexy, it's not real cool, but it pays off, because when you know what your data is, it's super important. Now, I'm not gonna stand here and tell you that we have the most beautiful taxonomy on our business metadata and that we've got an ontology and all those fancy words people like. We don't. I asked for the basic English or Australian definition of that term because we can then grow from there into a taxonomy. So tag your data. Secondly, lineage, very important. Regulators want it. But in my opinion, this is just good business sense. If data truly is a strategic asset, truly, you should know where you got it, what you did to it, and where you put it. So as a bank, I equate it to money. We wouldn't just chuck money all over the place, right? We wouldn't just pick it up and move it randomly. So don't do that with your data. You wanna automate the lineage like I talked about because if you don't automate it, you're going to drown. And I think that's a really good metaphor for a lake. So you will drown because the volume of data coming at you that you need to track every single thing that's happening to it, you just can't do it manually. You'll be essentially out of date in about two seconds flat and you won't catch up. So that's lineage. Data quality, I think most people in this room will understand the principle of garbage in gets your garbage out. Nodding heads, all right. This is true, and it's especially true of machine learning and AI, which learns from the data. So crappy data going into machine learning model environment is gonna get you a crappy outcome. It's gonna get you misdirection and misinformation. You wanna really understand your critical data and then uplift the quality of that. So understand the pieces of data that really drive value for your customer and for your decision making. Now security. I view as kind of a two times approach. So what I mean by that is we take all the AWS, um, I gotta put this down. We take all the AWS capabilities and the tools, et cetera, and then we layer on top of that the NAB protocols, okay? So this is two, you need both, it's not either or. You need both to create a strong, secure environment but I think both coming together is, is a huge benefit, but it's a foundation you need to build. Privacy and ethics, you need to think about this as you're building your new ecosystem. Have you figured out what you're gonna do about the right to be forgotten under GDPR? How is that handled in your architecture? Under ethics and consent, how do you figure out how to capture your consent and then flow those consents all the way through your data pipeline to your analytics? 
so that your analytics teams are confident and have assurance that the way they're using the data is in line and is, and is consistent with the consents that you got way back here when you captured the data. This is not easy. We're still working on it. We're still building that. Um, so I don't have 100% of the answers, uh, but it's something that we are absolutely investing in as we build out the platform. And finally, talent. And I would actually say I saved the best for last on this one. It's very easy for an executive like me to stand up and say, let's go to the cloud, right? But it's a very different reality to go find the hundreds of AWS certified engineers that you need to take you there. And so we invested about 18 months ago in standing up the Cloud Guild. And one of my colleagues, Paul Silver, spoke about this yesterday. You might want to check out his presentation. Um, and we've had huge success with this. So we worked with AWS, um, and we were able to then engage our employees on this journey to the cloud. In 18 months, we've trained over 4,500 people. We have more than 800 people certified, and those people have over 1,100 certifications. And there are more coming, because I see people in the room that have promised me that more are coming by Christmas, so I'm looking for those in my stocking. Um, so we'll continue to do that. But it's not just about cloud. It's not just about the tech, although that is very important. You also need to think about data and analytics capabilities. And so we built a data guild and an analytics guild as well. So the data guild is really focused on things like data stewardship, governance, quality, metadata, lineage, all those foundational things we need. And the analytics guild is really working with the analytics teams across the bank to uplift their skills, new ways of working. How do you work with curated data? How do you actually build real-time analytics? What's the right machine learning model for this type of problem? And so we're working on that. And so we launched those last June. And so we're seeing quite a big uptake. We've got about 1,600 people in our analytics and data community right now. So that's uh, the foundations that you need to realize all those benefits that I spoke about. So where are we in terms of working with our friends in Connect? Well, we're starting where you would expect us to start on the reporting side, making sure that we've got all the right operational metrics in place, things like wait times, um, availability of staff, et cetera. So that's where we're starting. Then we're going to move into machine learning uh, using our NDC platform. So again, starting with topic analytics, moving to sentiment, and then compliance, which is far more complex. Now, I was very interested to hear about the announcements yesterday on the analytics coming with Amazon Connect. So we need to, uh, I haven't had even 24 hours to figure out what it all looks like. So we'll have to take a look at what that new offering is and then figure out what are the pieces that we do within Connect versus NDC. Uh, my guess, because it's a guess, is there'll probably be some of both that we use. Um, but for right now, we're just getting going this is uh, still new territory for us, and I expect that in another year, we'll have a lot more to share, a lot more outcomes and learnings. But for now, I'm gonna hand back to Laurent to close out, but he's gonna talk through outcomes and learnings to date. Thank you, Yolanda, thank you. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, uh, improvement 
uh, that we've seen uh, with Amazon Connect and we will see uh, coming with new uh, uh, features as we develop them. The first one on the list is uh, IVR. Uh, on our current system, um, doing an IVR announcement takes about three months for the change and costs about 70K. So if we have, for example, to add the uh, Apple Pay uh, keyword in our IVR path, this is basically the amount of time we have to wait. So uh, no, no need to tell you that uh, we didn't take that path when we launched a product, and that's unfortunate. We didn't have Amazon Connect at that time. Uh, so with IVR announcement on Amazon Connect, it cost us $0, and uh, it's done in minutes. That's one of the advantage. The second one is, as I mentioned earlier, we have about 35% of our calls that are self-service in nature. So 35% in nature are self-service. And with uh, Amazon Connect, we can create the notion of self-service pathways. Uh, and that gives us basically the ability to include, for example, account balance directly uh, in, the, uh, in the stream and, and able to use that uh, automatically and instantly. So with the introduction of speech analytics, we're able to do uh, about 100%, uh, so it's not about, it's 100% automated compliance and QA on all the calls. So this is a very important part for the banks because we have all the risk uh, associated with uh, risk control and customer experience that need to be embedded in there. And then finally, with uh, Connect, we're expected to deliver additional benefits, obviously. And the Smart Talk LVR uh, decreasing the misrouting of calls and improving the self-service containment. So these are the main advantages that we've seen so far. And we keep going because obviously there are more announcements done by uh, AWS constantly, and we're adding more features as we go. So I would go here with uh, uh, the learning uh, you know, path and the journeys that we took with a team that did an amazing job working on this technology, uh, uh, you know, brand new. So, not repeat what uh, uh, Glenda was saying around talent. You know, we need absolutely to uh, make sure that we train the teams that we are building because this is new technology and these are new skills that we need to build in-house and some of that takes time and we, are, you know, we need to be consequent about that. So the learning is about making sure that you have the skill in-house and you're building this technology with your core teams. The second thing I would say is put the customer experience first. I mean, this sounds like, you know, a rehash of like plenty of speech that you probably heard, but for us, it was a matter of resolving a lot of ambiguities by thinking about the customer experience first and thinking about how do we resolve ambiguities by thinking customer, customer. So we need also to be tech agnosis. You know, these are the things that when you are launching a project, you're driving the project by the technology, and sometimes you end up having a flavor of technology at the end of the product that basically bankers have a time using. And we know that training of bankers can take some time, especially when you have 4,000 of those like we do at NAB. And so we need to make sure that uh, the simplification is embedded inside our mindset when we try to define the product and, and the flows that our bankers are going to be using, connecting to the customers. Today, this is not the case, and we're evolving on that. Um, so we also want to understand what's out of the box on uh, Amazon Connect. Amazon Connect is, fa is a fairly new technology compared to other AWS managed services. 
And so they are things that we thought originally were included inside Amazon Connect and uh, you know, battery included, but this was not the case. And we ended up having to build some of these components, as you've seen from the other slides. So we had to improve that. We had to understand more about the systems and our limitation, including about the deployment and things that we're, we keep pushing uh, AWS to deliver for us. So these are the things that we're looking into constantly uh, improving on the AWS roadmap as well. And we have a close partnership with uh, AWS, which is awesome. Um, we also want to understand, obviously, the AWS managed service themselves to use with Amazon Connect. This has a very good uh, flavor. As an example, we're using a lot of Lambda. I see the, uh, Zach here saying, uh, nodding his head. But we're using a lot of solution from other uh, managed services, such as serverless, to basically build solution to bridge between our services, our current uh, architecture, our current infrastructure, to the new systems. And this has basically been a very uh, good thing for us to train people more on the AWS service and try to get this solution built with architecture mindset about AWS architecture. Uh, we also want to make sure that, uh, and that's something that you know comes with a lot of things that we have uh, in legacy, which is making sure that we set our environment properly. It's, it's some of these systems that we're building are very complicated in nature. There is a lot of dependencies, and we need to set our environment to understand perfectly how we can test these uh, features that we're launching. And so making sure that we have that in place with all the legacy system we have is sometimes very challenging. Um, and we also want to leverage the current architecture, but uh, infrastructure, sorry. But the thing is that sometimes we also need to, we needed to revisit some of this infrastructure to get the quality of service we needed on Amazon Connect. It came down to the point where we had to visit some uh, call center and look at the headset they were using and uh, basically upgrading these uh, devices because they didn't give us the quality of service with noise cancelling things we needed. They were too old, basically. Um, and so we need also, as other software projects, be realistic about the estimates. And these are the things that, you know, sometimes you, you adopt the unknown in the Amazon Connect Pass, and suddenly you get, uh, you know, features that are not exactly the way you want them, and you have to revisit that. Um, so these are the things we learn through the, through, the, through the case. The other thing I would mention is this project is succeeding at NAB because we have uh, an exec sponsoring on this project. We have essentially what I would call a, a knuckle buster kind of strategy where this project prevails on every other priority roadmaps. And this has been helping us to go to dependency uh, resolution and other uh, resource allocation we needed to uh, you know, take care of. So this has been a very, very interesting journey. But again, with the exec uh, support, we were able to move much faster, including you know, the development, deployment, and also around security and other things, while we didn't cut any corners on that side. So I want to thank you for your time. Did I forget anything, Linda? I think that's it. Um, we're happy to take questions if you like. We can also just stand down if you, at the bottom if you want to just come up and have a one-on-one. -on -one. But I see somebody's got a question here. With your ethics framework, yep. did you consider or did you ask any actual customers about what, what's ethical or not, or was it an internal? So the question is, um, with the ethics framework, did we ask any uh, customers? Uh, so what we did was we uh, worked with AT Cardi and we took a version, so we kind of stripped it down and uh, made it so it didn't look like A, it was a bank, or B, it was NAB. And then we tested the principles 
uh, externally with uh, uh, sampling, random sampling in Australia. Yep. I see somebody here. So as far as the uh, credit card stuff is concerned, so how, as far as like a chat box, you have a credit card mentioned in there, uh, conversation in the phone call might be considered a uh, business record where there's a credit card in there. How do you secure that? How did you store that? Um, how is that process? It might be uh, a little bit different in Australia, but for our side of things, we're, we talk about PCI compliancy. Yeah, so the answer is not yet. Uh, so today we're not uh, yet, uh, you know, providing this uh, uh, exposure, I would say. Um, the goal, obviously, is to work with our security architects or their architects and obviously uh, make sure that everything is secure across the bank and, uh, you know, we can maybe take that offline and maybe if you have any uh, comments on that, we can discuss that after that. Sorry, it's a bit bright. Okay, well, sorry, you, I see you now. You Um, we're working right now on a consent service. Um, I think there may be some preferences, but we are also looking at how do we link that into our customer master, um, and also how do we then engage with digital channels. So we're still uh, working that through right now, but we're looking to build an MVP of that new consent service this year. So I still have lots of questions for the architects on that. Uh, but I have seen some lovely wireframes, so. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get there in the end. But yeah, MVP this year. Yep. Yep. How did you balance the request from data scientists for time to market and techniques for trying out with the newer technology that's released right there to get into their lab where you're probably exposing production data to that new technology? So probably have to go through some kind of tests and balances before you can expose your production data to that. Correct. So before we put a new uh, tech in for data scientists, who of course won everything yesterday, um, we actually do have a specific team that has a lab environment to try it out and make sure that we understand how it works and what the security protocols need to be around it. So it actually has to go through a security process before the data scientists are allowed to use it. What we do though is I have an analytics committee um, because every data scientist has their favorite thing. And so we actually, if, if you need a capability, we don't, we don't let people talk about their favorite tool. It's tell me what the capability is that you need. And then we will probably provision a few for each, but we're not gonna do 18 of the same thing just because everybody wants a different flavor. And so we have uh, analytics leaders from across the bank that come together and we agree on that. So if they feel that their needs aren't getting heard, they have a path to escalate. Um, and then ultimately it could end up with me to say yes or no. Um, but so far it's been okay. And most people are pretty reasonable because really they just want the capability and they're willing to try out what we have. So if they can prove to me it doesn't work, then we're happy to look at something else. Yeah. So 
So the question is, how do you actually expedite the metadata tagging so you're not getting complaints? Um, so look, there's only so much you can do, and the guy that runs my lake is sitting right there laughing. Um, so it is hard work. Um, we did actually end up putting um, specific uh, metadata squads in place to do the initial tagging. Um, they do the first pass. It then goes to my data governance team to do a review. Once my data governance team is satisfied that it's at sufficient quality, then I will allow use of it. There is a final step, though, which is that the data stewards need to review those tags. So I am taking a little bit of a risk in that I'm letting people use data that hasn't been approved. Uh, the tag hasn't been approved by the data steward. But we're finding that that's relatively... Um, that's, that's just a way for us to speed it up, and there's a low risk. Um, so there may be some changes to the tags that occur, and we let everybody know that that's kind of the risk in the system. We also know that as we use the data, we may find out that the tagging that we have isn't quite right. And so we'll learn, and if we find out that we don't have it right, we have a change process to go through. But look, um, I think business metadata tagging is one of the hardest uh, things to do and to get right. Um, and I will say, anybody trying to do this, you face a lot of pressure from a lot of people to skip the step. And I've done that before in my career, and I won't ever do it again. I've already got those scars. I don't need them again. So I think specific squads, people that understand the data, finding them. We seconded people from the business that knew those source systems to help us. So there's ways you can be creative. Other questions? Sorry, the lights are quite bright here. Yep. business decision in contact centers. Um, in a way, we are basically right now in a phase where we are still implementing the uh, basic blocks on Amazon Connect. We know that we have a roadmap that is you know, essentially giving us uh, better visibility when obviously we're going to be able to leverage our data and start using uh, some of these uh, machine learning uh, uh, services that Amazon is, is delivering. And that's where I think uh, we, we will take a step of, you know, about six months to get to the point where we can leverage, starting to leverage the data, starting to basically use the uh, smart IVR, like I was saying earlier, and start to show the business that we can basically give a better value. We are putting in place all of the measurements from the product analytics side, so we understand better our customer path. Obviously, when we had the system where we were not able to uh, come, you know, it was a black box, we were not able to do all of the things we do today, it will give us the advantage of understanding better our customers and, again, provide better value for the business eventually. But today, we're at this place where it's still an infancy, and we are putting all of the stuff in place to make sure that we get this value added later, and working with Glenda, obviously, and her team to make sure that the data uh, you know, is, is in place and validate so we can leverage it at a later time. Yeah, so I think KPIs are still something that are evolving. So we have kind of basics, and then as we use them, and as we have some new leadership that's joined the bank as well, they're bringing in their ideas of what we should be measuring. And so uh, that's going to continue to evolve. It's a bit of a balancing act, though. We don't want to wait for perfection, right? So you, you start with measuring, and then we evolve as we go. And I think, yep. 
You have mentioned that data quality, data management is a, is a key success factor. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you have also explained very clearly uh, how AWS, Amazon help you in this, uh, uh, in setting up the proper cloud data platform. But for this specific topic of data management and data quality, what kind of solutions or uh, tools or accelerator did you use from Amazon on that topic? Um, actually, I would say it wasn't so much Amazon. It was Informatica that we used for data quality, uh, metadata, and lineage. Um, and on data quality, just to zero in on that one for a minute, what we did last year, so we identified all our critical data elements, and then we created a, uh, a more robust data quality measurement framework, which has six dimensions of data quality. You don't use all six for every CDE. Um, we started the measurement against book of record. What we've now done, because we've landed so many sources in the lake, is we're actually working to now, um, and because Informatica sits in the lake, we're going to be doing the data quality measurement against the curated layer. So the data will land. Instead of being able to do it like once a year in the source system, we're actually going to be able to do it um, really frequently in the lake. So we'll start by moving quarterly and then we'll probably be able to go monthly, weekly. It's kind of a, a trade-off on how quickly does the quality change, et cetera. But those are some of the things. So by landing the data in the curated later layer, we'll use Informatica to do the data quality right there. Um, we'll, we should be having about 50 to 60% of the CDs automated that way this year. So hopefully that helps. But happy to talk about more later. I'm just conscious we've got like three minutes left before they're going to kick us out. Any other questions? Sorry, it's less lights. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to end it there. And um, we're happy to talk to you if you want to come up to us Thank afterwards. You. Thank you, guys. Thanks.